Welcome back to A Better Brand of Happiness. This is session 41 and continues our study of Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Garfield the movie was released in 2004. And as with most major movies back then, Roger Ebert watched and reviewed the movie. And when the movie came out later on DVD... His, uh, Roger Ebert's review was referenced right on the front of the DVD on the artwork. Actually, they cited three words from Ebert's review, and those three words are charming, thumbs up. Those words seem pretty clearly to indicate that Roger Ebert liked the movie and recommended it. And the truth is that Ebert apparently did like the movie. However, the review that I read on his website that is maintained even though he's no longer with us, that review that I read, which I assume is the original one that ran in the Sun-Times, the words thumbs up don't appear anywhere in that review. Maybe they did in the original Sun-Times article, but they don't in the archived version on his website. The word charming does appear in his review. It appears in this sentence. In a film mostly involved with plot, there are two scenes that are irrelevant but charming. (laughs) Now that you've seen that word charming in the full sentence where it originally appeared, has your perspective about the movie, or Ebert's opinion of it at least, changed a little bit? The DVD artwork implies that Ebert called the entire movie charming. But as you can see for yourself, when we look at his words in context, Ebert actually only said that two scenes were charming, and he said they were irrelevant to the plot. So that's less of a recommendation than what just the word charming itself seems to indicate. But there's more. On the back of the DVD artwork, the Washington Post was quoted with one word, fun. But editors of the Columbia uh, Journalism Review checked the Washington Post to see who wrote the review and what the review was written of this movie. And in fact, there were two reviews published in the Washington Post. But the editors of the Columbia Journalism Review didn't exactly find the word fun in either of these reviews. Let me just show you their conclusion. Let me quote you their entire conclusion. Actually, let me read to it, and then I'll show you this quote. Meanwhile, the word fun does not appear at all in two reviews of the film in the Post. The closest it gets is this. In a review by Anne Hornaday, Garfield is rather unpleasant, and he's never very funny. That's the closest the word fun appears in either of the two reviews that were published in the Washington Post. Now, it's true that the word charming appeared in Ebert's review, and it's sort of true that the word fun kind of appears in one of the reviews that the Washington Post published. But it's misleading to say that Ebert thought the whole movie was charming. 
And it's downright incorrect to say that the Washington Post thought the movie was fun or even funny. What makes these quotes then on the back of the DVD or the front of the DVD, what makes them misleading? The answer is that these words were quoted out of context. Whenever you read or quote part of someone's words without considering the context of those words, the totality in which those words originally appeared, you at the very least risk misunderstanding what they said or wrote, and at worst, you risk completely misconstruing what they said or wrote. Now, when it comes to the study of the Bible, when we study the Bible, it is important to study it in context. And context, as I'm using it here, refers to what surrounds any word or phrase or sentence of human communication. Context is not a biblical thing only, as I tried to illustrate using this silly Garfield movie illustration. Context is essential to human communication, and it refers to everything that surrounds a word or a phrase or a sentence or a verse or whatever that helps us understand exactly what the author or the speaker is communicating. That's what context does, and there are different types of context. Literary context refers to the writing that surrounds any word, phrase, sentence, or verse. That's the literary context. Literary context refers to the other words around the words that you're quoting or interpreting or studying. Historical context refers to the historical circumstances that surround a word, phrase, or sentence that you're trying to interpret. Not only does the text itself give you context, but where the writer was coming from when he or she wrote, or the speaker, when he or she spoke, that also is called the historical context, and it helps you interpret what the writer or speaker was trying to say. Recognizing and understanding every Bible passage in context is essential to interpreting the Bible correctly. When we don't interpret the Bible in context, we misquote God. Just as Garfield the movie misquoted Ebert and the Washington Post. In my Bible study method, which I've been teaching throughout this these series of sessions through the book of Philippians, there are three steps that help us think about the importance of context. And here are the eight steps that I go through in my Bible study method. I won't go through and read them all again, but I've gone through them in several sessions, and I've isolated certain ones at various times to try to show you how I use these in my own Bible study. But as I mentioned a minute ago, there are three of them that help us with the, with the, um, the importance of context in Bible study. One of them is number two, establish the paragraph. Now, I've taught you in previous sessions kind of the process I go through to decide where a paragraph ends, or begins, I should say, and where it ends. But I don't think I've told you exactly why I think that's important. And the reason I think it's important is context. If you start the paragraph too too soon or too late, or end it too soon or too late, you can cut off 
important literary context from the whole and potentially misunderstand a verse. And so one of the reasons why I try carefully to think about what the entire paragraph of Scripture is, is to protect me from misinterpreting it by missing some of the literary context. And so step two, establish the paragraph, is one of the tools I use, one of the steps I use and teach to help us understand the context. Another one is step three, state the big idea. The big idea is the one-sentence summary of a particular context or a particular paragraph. So once I've established the paragraph, then I want to try to say in one sentence what the entire paragraph is saying. Why do that? In part, to establish context. Because if the entirety of a paragraph is saying one thing, and I interpret a verse or a phrase to mean something else, I should know in that moment If a verse or phrase conflicts with what I think the overall big idea is, then I know I've got a problem. Either I've misunderstood the big idea or I'm misinterpreting the word or phrase. And so steps two and three help us to understand context when we study the Bible. Thirdly, number six, the sixth step in my method, get answers to your questions, also helps us to understand context. Because, you see, as we go to sources, as we go to what other pastor teachers have written about any particular passage of Scripture and what we call a commentary or another Bible study tool. Whenever we go to those tools, they are going to point out things in the literary context that we might have missed that caused us to have the question in the first place. They're also going to provide us with some of the historical context that we may not know about as we study the Bible. I'll talk a minute in a minute about a third type of context, which is theological context. And Bible study tools often help us with this. And so as we study the scriptures and as we turn to other source material to help us understand the scriptures, one of the big things we are trying to do is make sure we understand a word, a verse, a phrase in the context that the original author gave to us. We've been working our way through the book of Philippians together in this series called A Better Brand of Happiness. And in the past few sessions, we've been studying the paragraph that is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Today, we come to what is, I think, the best known verse in the entire book of Philippians. It's Philippians 4.13. Look with me in your Bibles again and let's read it. Where it says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, you may be more familiar with the King James version of of this verse, the King James version translation of this verse, or another translation like the ESV, which is similar to the King James. The King James version translates this verse, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And that's a pretty, really, a very literal translation kind of word for word from what the original Greek says. And so you've probably heard this verse either in the King James or in another translation that that uses the kind of literal formal equivalence that the King James uses. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But the truth of the matter is that Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, is often quoted out of context. In fact, I would say most of the time when people quote this verse, 
they're either ignoring the context or completely missing the context of the verse in its totality. It's interesting as I was putting this message together and doing my research for it, that I found out that Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, our verse for today, is one of the most quoted verses of the Bible on Twitter, the social media platform. And as you might guess, at least in my very simple, quick survey of the uses of Philippians 4.13 on Twitter, it's often quoted out of context. Let me give you just one example. This example is from August 5th, just a few days ago. So I didn't have to dig very far to find this. I'll show you a screenshot of the tweet. And as you can see in a tweet from August 5th, just a few days ago, someone from Calvary Christian Football, which I assume is a, like uh, probably a uh, Christian high school in Clearwater, Florida, posted a few pictures of students working out in the weight room. Then they wrote this, through all adversity, they keep challenging themselves, never satisfied, great week of work. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, Philippians 4, 13. I guess it's nice that a Christian school quoted from the Bible. But like most of the times that Philippians 4.13 is quoted, whether in person or on Twitter or elsewhere, this example quotes Philippians 4.13 out of context. It suggests that Christ strengthened these men to perform better in the gym, that somehow they could lift more than the godless football players down the street at the public high school, I guess, because they were strengthened by Christ himself. But Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, and I know this is going to shock you, but it says nothing about performing better in the weight room. It says nothing about performing better when you are lifting weights. When Philippians 4.13 is used out of context, it's often because of those words, not in the NIV, but in the King James Bible, I can do all things. Now, the NIV's translation has tried to give us, has tried to shape it according to context, so it's a little bit harder to take out of context, though I noticed that this school quoted the NIV version. They didn't go to find the ESV version or whatever. But when this verse is misquoted, it's because of three words, really, do all things. That's what people That's the the main reason they miss the point of the verse and misinterpret it out of context. The phrase that says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, is misleading if we don't understand it in context. The word do, the first of those three words, is a word of human activity. It's a word of human performance or human accomplishment. We do something in the sense that we take activity, we we make actions, and we accomplish something often. But if we look at that word do in Philippians 4.13 without looking at the context, we can easily think that Philippians 4.13 is teaching us how to accomplish things, how to accomplish really anything maybe. And then following that word, I can do, the next phrase, all things, seems to paint with a very broad brush. If I say, I can do all things, and you don't know that I'm quoting the Bible or that I'm even referencing the Bible, if I say, I can do all things, you might say, why don't you try to lift this chapel 
right? That's a thing. Can you do that? Right? The phrase, do all things, seems to paint with a very broad brush. And if we interpret those words, all things, outside the context of Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, then we could easily conclude that Philippians 4.13 is teaching us the secret to accomplishing anything and everything that human beings might want to do. That's why people cite Philippians 4.13 when they're seeking a new job or getting a new job, which is another way, another use of Twitter that I saw for this verse. This is why people cite Philippians 4.13 when they're working toward a difficult high school, college, or graduate school degree, which is another way in which I saw this verse cited. Somebody showing themselves in their graduation regalia and saying, praise God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I applaud the desire of Christians to give God the glory. I think that's excellent. But it misleads people about what the meaning of this verse really is. People use this verse when they're trying to perform better in the weight room or on the athletic field or in other, ever, other areas of human effort and endeavor. Their interpretation of Philippians 4.13 is, because I am a Christian, Jesus will help me achieve whatever I set my eyes on, whatever my goal is, whatever my actions are moving toward, because I'm a Christian, Jesus is going to help me get there. That's really the implied message when people apply this verse to these areas of life that we've been talking about, the weight room, the classroom, or whatever. But those interpretations of Philippians 4.13 are exactly the opposite, really, of what Paul was saying in this passage of Scripture, in this paragraph. When we take it in context of Philippians 4.10-20, applying verse 13 to any and every area of human endeavor really is taking it to mean the opposite, or maybe not the exact opposite, but quite different from what Paul meant when he used this verse and when he wrote this verse in context. And so let's take a minute and look at the context of Philippians 4.13 to learn correctly what exactly it teaches us. The literary context of Philippians 4.13 is, as we saw in the past two sessions, contentment. As we looked at the past few sessions and the verses that precede this, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12, we saw that the literary context is setting forth the topic of contentment. And let me show you on the the words of Scripture itself exactly how this context helps us interpret Philippians 4.13. Here again is our paragraph, Philippians 4, 10 through 20. And we've looked in previous sessions at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Then Paul says in verse 11, I am not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content. That's the word that I told you establishes the context in which Philippians 4.13 occurs. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, verse 11, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, Paul says. And then in verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. There it is again. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
Philippians 4.12, the end of the verse, as I just showed you, tells us that the secret of being content in any and every situation is what Paul is talking about immediately before he gives us this famous verse, Philippians 4.13. So the context of contentment in every situation clarifies for us the meaning that Paul was getting at in verse 13. It helps us to understand what Paul was saying. Now, Paul is clearly not saying that Christ strengthens him to do anything and everything that he wants to do with his life. In context, he's saying that he can be content regardless of the circumstances. See, that's why I say this, because he keeps talking about his circumstances, right? At the end of verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then in verse 12, he lists some circumstances. He says, times I, at times I've been in need and times I've had plenty. At times I've been hungry, at times I've been full. But he says, I've been content in any and every situation, This means there were times in Paul's life when he wished he could be full, but he was hungry. He couldn't achieve the goal of satisfying even his own hunger. He couldn't achieve the goal of filling up his financial resources. He wasn't saying, I was able to escape poverty because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, he was saying, I could be content when I didn't have enough, when I couldn't achieve my goals. When I didn't have my freedom. In other words, in the weight room, when you can't get up those weights, can you still be content? That's what Paul, that's a much closer application of what Paul is saying in Philippians 4.13. Whether Paul got what he wanted or not, whether his actions achieved his goals or not, Paul says, I have learned to be settled. Not anxious, which is what poverty tends to give us, or greedy, which is what prosperity tends to give us. Paul says, whether I am well-fed or hungry, I have learned to be settled emotionally about this. I've learned how to deal with anxiety as a Christian. I've learned how to deal with greed or jealousy as a Christian. I have learned, he says here in verse 12, the secret of being content this is what he is saying when he means all, when he says, I can do all this. It's all this contentment. Paul says, I can feel settled in the Lord in all these situations, not because Jesus helps me achieve everything I want, but because Jesus is what I want. And in knowing him, I've learned contentment as a byproduct. Paul says, I have learned to be settled, not anxious or greedy, through the power of Jesus Christ. That's the literary context of Philippians 4.13. Paul is saying contentment is what I can do through Christ in every situation. Why? Because he strengthens me. This is the literary context of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. But what about the historical context? Let's take a minute and consider that. When we study the Bible, it's important to study it in context. Philippians 4.13 is often quoted out of context. And the historical context of Philippians 4.13 is Paul's life. Paul was under house arrest in Rome, and he was awaiting trial before Caesar when he wrote these words. 
he was running out of money, as we saw in the last three sessions, until he received a financial gift that was sent to him from the Philippian believers, from the church at Philippi. But after Paul received the money, as we saw back in, way back in verse 10 and verse 11, after he received the money from the Philippians, he was now doing well financially. And we see that later on in verse 18. Paul says, I've received full payment. I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts, the money that you sent. And so Paul was begging, and now he's doing much better because of the gift the Philippians sent him. But that contrast between before their gift, the starvation that was probably starting to feel pretty real to Paul, or at least a possibility to Paul, and then the prosperity that came with their gift, all of that situation informed historically the situation that Paul was in, his life at the time that he wrote these words. Paul isn't reflecting back on his life and saying, at times in my life I've been poor, but I was content then, or at times I've been wealthy. No, he is saying, moments ago, before I got your gift, I was poor, I was hungry, I was in need, and yet I wasn't worried about it. I didn't feel anxiety. I was content because Christ gave me the strength to be content. He says, and now that I've received your gift, and I have ample supplies, I have more than enough, he says, you know what? I still feel content. I'm not worried about trying to make this money into more money. I'm content with what I have. That's the historical context behind Paul's words. The theological content of Philippians 4.13, which I referenced earlier, is the goal of Paul's life, his goal of knowing Jesus Christ. And back in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, we studied these words way back in a session long ago. Paul said, what is more, Philippians 3, 8 and 9, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which is by the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's what Paul said in Philippians 3, 8 and 9. He says, I don't care about anything else in life other than knowing Jesus Christ. That is the theological context for these words, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What Paul is saying is, as I have known Christ better, as I have grown in my faith, as my knowledge of Jesus Christ has increased, the important things, the things that feel important in this world have faded in their importance. I found contentment, not in what I don't have or what I do have. I found contentment in Jesus and in my walk with him. And that strengthens me, Philippians 4.13, to be content when I'm hungry or well-fed, when I've got no money or plenty of it. Paul, the theological context here is Paul's walk with Christ. And he's saying because I showed you this in an earlier uh, verse, in uh, verse 11, where Paul, where Paul uses one of the words of discipleship. He's saying, on the road to discipleship, on my road to knowing Jesus Christ, I found contentment as a byproduct. That's the theological context. And so I've shown you the literary context, how it helps us understand Philippians 4.13, that Paul's talking about contentment. I've shown you the historical context that Paul had 
just recently been in poverty and now was well supplied, and yet he was content through it all. And I've shown you the theological context that Paul has already in this book taught about how the fact that his walk with God was the most important thing to him and how that strengthened him as a Christian. And so in context then, Paul is not talking about the kinds of things that Philippians 4.13 is typically applied to. Paul did not want to perform better in the gym or find a more lucrative career, which is, you know, if you were in prison, you might think that. I need to find a more lucrative career than this. But that wasn't what Paul was saying when he said, when he wrote the words of Philippians 4.13. No, Paul is saying, I want to know Christ. And as I have followed Jesus Christ more and more closely, It's become less and less important whether I'm hungry or well-fed, whether I've got no money or all kinds of money. Why? Because the better he knew Jesus, the more he received the strength of Christ to feel content, to feel settled, to feel satisfied, no matter what the circumstances he faced in life were. And so in context, Philippians 4.13 I'm not saying it's not profound. I'm saying it's more profound than the ways in which it is usually applied when ripped out of its context and not understood. Paul said that Christ gives me strength. And that phrase in context means he gives me the strength to be content despite my circumstances. So what if Paul had starved to death? What if God had not laid it on the hearts of the Philippians to collect money for him and send it to him? And Paul in that hired, that that rented house that he had in Rome, before he could face trial before Caesar, what if he literally starved to death? Paul's saying, through the power of Christ, I could be content with that. Because I believe it to be the will of God for my life. Did Paul really know the secret to contentment that he talks about in verse 12? Is he starved to death? The answer, I think Paul would say, I'm certain he would say, is yes. Because Christ strengthened him to trust God through that circumstances. And what if Paul suddenly struck it rich? What if some long-lost uncle that he forgot all about or didn't, never knew left him a massive inheritance and all of a sudden Paul was one of the wealthiest men in Rome? Could he be content in those circumstances, in that situation? We talked about this last time, how we think that Prosperity is going to give us contentment, but the world shows us example after example of where that isn't true, where the rich and famous are miserable because they're not connected to Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, even if I struck it rich, I know that I would not shift into looking to my wealth for my satisfaction because I've been empowered by Christ himself who gives me strength. So these words in Philippians 4.13, I'm not saying they're not profound. I'm saying they're way more profound than the ways, the cheap ways they are typically applied. Finding a new job is great. It's a gracious act of God. It's a provision of God for sure. But it's not the secret to contentment. Losing your job and losing your income and losing your reserves is a tough spot to be in. I wouldn't want to be there. And it's not like I'm saying this is no challenge. But being poor isn't the secret to contentment either. 
what Paul is saying is the secret to contentment is found in Jesus Christ himself. What he's saying is whether you achieve in the gym or not, whether you make the football team, like, like think of a, a, young, a young man, a young man who's wanted to be the starting quarterback on the football team his whole life and going into his senior year. He has dedicated himself to studying the playbook and lifting weights and doing all the work. And at the end of cuts, he's cut from the team. Can a young man like that be content in that situation? Yes, he can. Why? Because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. If he thinks that making the team and becoming the quarterback is the proper application of Philippians 4.13, then he might be disenchanted if he gets cut from the team. But if he understands that making the team and becoming a football star is not the secret to contentment, but knowing Christ is, then Philippians 4.13 has a much more profound meaning for him in his life. When we understand Philippians 4.13 in context, we see that it is a much more powerful, much more profound verse than the cheap ways it is ordinarily applied to us. Now, I haven't actually really explained how Christ strengthens us in these moments where we need contentment. And so we'll have to come to that in another session. But interpreting the Bible in context is really important, so I wanted to take a whole session to talk about this. Because it's so important to understanding the Bible and not putting words in God's mouth that he didn't say or holding God to promises that he never made. Those are avenues to disenchantment. And many people who thought they were Christians, misapplying the Bible and taking it out of context has led them to a place of disillusionment and questioning in their faith. And so studying the Bible in context is extremely important. So that's why I took a whole session to talk about it. So For today, even though we haven't really dug into Philippians 4.13 yet, I think it's important. And so if my big idea for today's message is pretty simple. A better brand of happiness comes when we understand Philippians 4.13 in context. The better we understand what Paul was saying behind this verse, the better we understand how the verse applies to us. We'll come to that in another session. But just understand that when you understand Philippians 4.13 in context, this is a better brand of happiness.